Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in again to the Move Podcast. I'm Scotty Carlisle, your host, and today, while you're driving, whether it's to work or whether it's home from work, take note because there's going to be a story or three, you know, there's probably more than that, actually, that you're going to hear that... I believe is going to make a difference. I believe it will help. I believe it will give you some perspective on life. And I'm very happy that my guest showed up here today, Jared. Thank you for coming to the Move podcast. And I'm really excited to interview you. Uh, There's a lot of questions I have. But before we get into any of that, who are you? (laughs) No pressure, though. No pressure. Who am I? Well, thanks, That's a first of all, question. for having me up to uh, to the podcast and having me on. And who am I? Um, well, you know, I'm a father of four, a uh, married guy who uh, who's had a life kind of defined by cannabis. Um, and, um, you know, really, uh, halfway through my life now, I guess, I found uh, family life. And uh, that began... That began to affect the current status of my life at that point, you know, and for the positive, you know, I didn't really have a, I didn't have an answer to what you just asked, <laughs> but today I do. And so who am I? I'm a dad. Uh, I'm a dad that, uh, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur, uh, forced through that. And we'll talk about that later, but, uh, yeah, I'm a dad first and, and, uh, an advocate for cannabis. So you have a few kids. Few kids plus one. Yes. Four, uh, 24, 21, 15, 16 in December, and then uh, six. Yeah, and you know, that's, um, so I have five, right? So, and everybody, every time I say that I have five kids, people are like, what? You know, there's things that you can do besides that, right? You know, <laughs> um, it seems like now nowadays that uh, people are having less and less children, right? But, so there's never a dull moment. Right. Uh, they say... Having kids keeps you young, right? Yeah. That's, that's obviously, look. look. <laughs> <Yeah>. And healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, we'll, you know, we'll leave that alone. We'll leave that alone. Right? <laughs> but we, we could field a soccer team, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's very that's very true. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have, so you mentioned entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And, you know, growing up, what kind of uh, situation were you, were you in in life? Did you have a, was it a, white picket fence kind of a situation was it did you have any issues growing up i mean we all have issues don't i was gonna say yeah. those are two separate separate things you know there could be the white picket fence but on the other still. side of it you still got the issues um yeah, and you know smart. uh when it boils down to it is i'm someone who um grew up in in a household where the parents did everything they could you know to to raise kids um that they really didn't know what to do with. <laughs> you know, hey, uh, and got to give credit to Pops. Is, you know, he, he worked his way up the corporate ladder and did all that kind of stuff and worked real hard. Um, as a result of that, he was, you know, not around much and doing that kind of thing. But um, he worked real hard to give us all the advantages that that could be given to kids growing up. And, um, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't a platinum spoon or a gold spoon but it was a silver spoon and I kept trying to knock it out of my mouth you know it's, yeah uh, grew up in San Juan Capistrano and literally there was a set of train tracks in the middle of the town and I chose to go to the other side of the tracks as the old saying said that was it you know um, so I grew up in a nice neighborhood I grew up in San Juan Capistrano and um, yeah I had an opportunity to experience all sorts of life uh, ranging from you know, uh, white middle-class suburbs to, to like I said, the other side of the tracks, which is where all my friends were, all the guys I played baseball with and soccer with and that kind of stuff. And, you know, um, it was interesting because I'd get picked up by a 13-year-old in an El Camino Classic, and uh, <laughs> it was because he was just as legal driving as his parents were, you know. Oh, wow. And, um, but, hey, you know, that was life, you know. And my, my parents got the chance to drop me off to a couple barbecues on the other side of the track, and I'm sure they were... Certainly scared <laughs> uh, leaving, but yeah, no, I had a good, good childhood, great family growing up. Um, so I've had a, a similar experience where I've been on on several different fences, mm-hmm. not even sides of the fence, but fences, you know. And 
when it comes to different communities that I've lived in, different neighborhoods that some neighborhoods I fit in, some neighborhoods I was like the sore thumb. Some neighborhoods, it yeah, and it depends on the people too, right? right? And the situations and whatnot. But what I found is that people, we're all the same, man. You know, mm-hmm. we're all we're all the same. And but what you don't know about, you fear, right? And what you fear, I think there's a lot of quotes that talk about that, but what you fear you hate and what you hate, you know, you end up doing bad things about. And so um, I think it's it's a a unique perspective because not everybody gets to dance on both sides of the fence and be be on both sides. I'm you know, so I think that gives you a unique perspective and probably part of that. Not probably. I would bet any amount of money that that experience allowed you to be who you are today and you know not take things um i guess out of context and maybe look at the whole picture different sides yeah well you know it's it's one of those things that i also learned early on that cannabis was something that uh kind of evened my keel and along with the rest of life you know um you get taught what life's about by the two people you know that bring you into the world or whoever's you know, uh, the responsible adult in your life and, um, you're getting their perspective of the world and, and everyone has to, well, learn what the world is to them and, and, uh, outlive or, or, uh, you know, learn to outgrow their childhood, you know, because we're all set with limitations and expectations and that kind of stuff. And when it boils down to it, there's a lot of stuff you have to unlearn, you know, as, mm-hmm. as you're going along the way. And, um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that I grew up thinking cannabis you know, was devil's lettuce, and you know, if you smoked it and got hit in the back of the head, all of a sudden you're going to stay cross-eyed, or <laughs> you know, different things like that, or you know, the marijuana madness stuff. And hey, it's still around in present today. But what we do have is the age of information that's getting out there, and and um, yeah, you know, what what it allows is for people to see the differences. And other people and and allow for that this is a medicine and allow that right. other cultures do it and do that kind of thing but uh you know going back to the original part of what you said is yeah experiencing life on on multiple levels and then you know coming to terms in, in high school with the fact that well i was the kid with the triple beam that i stole from science class and was handed out grams and zero period you know i got along with everybody yeah you're everybody's friend and that was it um you know so yeah it it while I never really knew who I was, I was somebody who kind of fit in everywhere just to kind of see what it was like over on the other side. See how the the other side lived, right? Yeah, totally. So, so I, I know that, you know, obviously you have some stories there. There were situations because back then, I mean, it's a schedule one drug, right? Oh, yeah. So still is. Yeah. And, and how many people have you ever heard of that have overdosed? You've been in you've been in the business now for a while, right? How many people have you heard of that have overdosed? Absolutely zero. Huh. Yeah, and and um, how many people that you know? Okay, again, my personal experience. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anybody smoke and want to go get into a fight. Oh, I mean, I haven't. But I. But again, unless they're yeah. drinking or doing something no, else, it's with a little it. bit different. You know, it right. depends on again who you're hanging out with, different True. crowds. But yeah, as far for the cars, in most. Most stoners or, or people who participate in cannabis uh, are not your normal aggressive people. Right. Right. But. Yeah. Okay. So, so what's the word? Um, it it is um, correlation is not causation, right? Right. So it's the person <laughs> that smokes it, and then it. So it's not the smoke; it's the person that smokes it. Oh yeah. Well, because there's smokers who come up. I mean, there's there's military vets who smoke for PTSD purposes, and right. you know they're. They're really trying to chill out a little bit more and, and get over some of those stress factors, of which sometimes, you know, that can turn, well, uh, frightening or scary or, or violent, you know. And, and really, I know that uh, a lot of today's um, research is going towards that for vets and that kind of stuff, uh, the dipping into the psychedelics as well as cannabis for treating that now. And, uh, you know, 20 years ago, yeah, no way in hell. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep. One of my favorite podcasters, Tim Ferriss. Okay. You've heard of him? I've heard of him. The guy is an amazing dude. And 
not to blow sunshine up your ass, Tim, if you ever hear this, <laughs> but the thing is, is, is he's a very humble person, very, very smart. But what I like about him is that he conducts experiments himself and tells you what happened and how he reacted. And he, he keeps copious notes. And so you're not just hearing it. Yeah, dude, it's no, it's what he has. Um, he has dotted every I crossed every T right. in his research that he's done on himself. And then now he's also um, championing a a basically a, a more psilocybin, more psychedelics, more more of those type of of remedies for certain problems, mm -hmm. you know. And we man, we got lots of problems out out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, no, I mean realistically, it doesn't require a certain type of background to have uh, issues that could be um, well, I, I guess dealt with through that type of thing. You know, it, it doesn't doesn't take being shot at or, or being in a war to have PTSD of some variety and or, yeah. or, you know, stress or that type of thing. So it does really relate to a lot more people than just the extreme, um, no, uh, you know, extreme uh, examples of which we're noting right here. Yeah. You know, because PTSD is definitely, you know, again, relevant to the experience you've had here. Right. So. Right. Some people have PTSD from, you know, having... Their asses kicked as a kid, a number of different situations, and and you know our body has a way of telling us to you know the flight flight or fight fight or flight you know yep. something yeah and and it's a reminder to okay look at what's happening okay you're not but it's like a negative feedback loop that just keeps on going and there's no way to right. stop it unless you know you have there obviously there are but you know my brother had PTSD really bad he was. He went to Afghanistan and Iraq, and some of his really good friends got blown up, and it it hit him hard. And he was having really bad nightmares, and you know, unfortunately, he ended up losing his life. He got killed in a motorcycle accident when he had just he didn't know what to do, and and unfortunately, when it had happened, he had twice the barbiturates, twice the alcohol, like he just he had he was flying high on everything because he was trying to escape because but he didn't he he never quite was able to to have success from that you know because you try to manage things with drugs and alcohol and realistically you're just prolonging them or or masking you know the feeling that goes associated with that said thing and yeah no that's where the psychedelics and mastering the mind i mean really um Cannabis, I could talk all day about it. It's not a cure-all, but it's something that helps with depression and stress and that kind of thing. But uh, without the use of um, what you'd call pharmaceuticals, uh, meditation is what's required, you know, for me, right? Is, uh, I've been clinically depressed multiple times in my life to the point of not getting out of bed for 18 hours a day and sleeping most of the time, doing that kind of stuff. And yeah, well, cannabis didn't help that. Um, you know, but I did smoke during that time period. I didn't drink, and, you know, I tried to stay away from other drugs just because I know during that time period it's it's real easy to get lost in that type of stuff. And, um, yeah, no, one so, time so I how, yeah, how, found meditation. How did you find meditation? Well, I hit a, hit a real low point in my life after the depression. Uh, and, um, yeah, you know, one thing led to another. Um, save the intermediate story for a different podcast we'll, we'll dig into that later but uh i found myself um hearing that my uh now six-year-old was going to be born you know and uh the wife and i were at a point where we were separated and going through some tough times wedding or not wedding wise marriage wise and that kind of stuff and and um i did an all-time low didn't really know what to do i'm an entrepreneur and i couldn't didn't think my way out of a paper bag, let alone come up with an original thought or idea. And um, yeah, I was just all the way low. And then something, something struck a nerve when I found out I was going to have another kid. And um, yeah, it wasn't, I, I was at a real low spot. And, and realistically, uh, the next day I didn't pop back up and start doing jumping jacks and I'm ready, you know, <laughs> you're rolling, you know. Um, it was, at that point, we're a family of five, uh, and the, the train had fallen off the tracks, and when, when essentially, you're 
<laughs> you're a train it takes a while to get back going so um started with uh, a couple good habits but then really you know what's funny is um it was right around the same time that uh, oprah and deepak chopra came out with their free guided meditations and it was really kind of aimed at the mm, you know what what the world itself was going through you know people are going through different stresses doing that kind of thing and and so, yeah, I found, you know, I was on my ear. So I was taking anything that was free, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that wasn't going to cause me to go crazy. And I was looking for, I was looking for a quiet mind, you know. And along the way, um, a lot of it made sense. It's, you know, uh, aside from your family, aside from the people you work with, uh, <laughs> you're literally stuck with yourself all day long, every day, you know. And uh, your, your mind is what leads the, the thought process. So why not make a friend out of it? Is what I heard resonated <laughs> with me one time, you know, because um, like your brother and because, uh, you know, like a lot of people who've done military time or, or been to jail or, you, you know, again, lived something that was traumatic in their life. Uh, those thoughts, they ruminate, you know, it's a cycle. And, and realistically, um, stopping them comes in avoiding them, you know, drugs and alcohol or, or um, controlling your mind. You know, and, and really controlling your mind, mind control, it's it's uh, it's something you have to practice at. Yeah. Just like baseball or football. And practice makes progress. Uh, there's going to be certain days that you, you go to you know, close your eyes and meditate. And I laugh at myself. It's like, there's no <laughs> fucking way this is going to happen. <laughs> and, you know, it is what it is. You, you, you know, you don't give up on the rest of the day, but you go through knowing that today's a tougher day than yesterday um but meditation is really something that changed my life 100%. i um you know i'm seeing this fly go zoom, zoom, flying around and i can't help but think about this is meditation because that fly is like representative of our thoughts and they're bouncing all over the place and we could get really mad because it's screwing up the whole thing <laughs> right? right or we could just look at it and it's a fly big deal i'm trying to not look at it <laughs> just because that adhd thing right you know, like, get distracted not looking at it. and then i'm thinking of you know daniel's on a mr miyagi i'm thinking chopsticks oh yeah i know where they all get the chopsticks Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a contest we'll make this a fun one you know it's you know sometimes i've done podcasts again not to get too far off track but um and it's just me at home and my two-year-old's in there and I literally was talking to it was it was a very serious conversation. I was um, I was talking to this girl Vivian who suffered from schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and depression and anxiety, <clears throat> and she was telling me how she was coping. And as that conversation was happening, I hear, a, "Mom!" And then he opens the door and he's crying, right? And I'm trying to not, but she's talking and he's. He's ta he's coming on board regardless of what's happening, right? right? So it's it's a matter of these things happen and you just gotta flow with it. And I and I brought him in here and now he looked, you know, hey, hey Vivian, this is my son, uh, and, and and then we just keep we just keep rolling. But it is it does get annoying, but this is life. We have things like this that happen. It's the ten ninety rule, ten percent, ninety percent. It's life is in, in my experience, anyway, it's rang true that life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% about how you handle it. So a lot of the MOVE podcast is about dealing with hardships. It's about dealing with a hand that was dealt and you don't have a choice to get another hand and you got to play with what you got. And meditation, I think, is a key tool that we can all use everybody listening to this me and you and everybody else could use to help us cope with failure with helplessness with everything with jealousy with anger with rage with whatever it is that that is occupying your mind in a negative way right. i think part of what gives it the spark and gives it the fire is us trying to fight what is happening instead of just watching the fly and being okay with it and and it's a hard thing to do but 
I guess we're, it, long story short is that we didn't always have that ability to meditate, right? We had to get hit sometimes and feel the pain and the angst and the uncertainty. Right. And so my question, one of my questions to you is, you know, when was the first punch dealt by life that you got that was really hard for you to, you know, to deal with? Ah, there's there's lots of them. You yeah. know, you have a watermark, you know, uh, watermark experiences in your life that just they leave uh, they leave a mark on you for the rest of your life. They begin to shape who you are, and um, and yeah, you know, um, it actually brings a little context. Is you know, it's the world, <laughs> the world either beats you down or or whatnot, but it really. It, it shapes who you are, the surrounding world, and that kind of thing. And and um, I just heard it as part of this. I, I have an app for meditation. Sometimes I'll send these little reminders during the day. You know, just take a minute. And uh, the one from yesterday was, you know, meditation is literally the practice of realizing you aren't who you think you are. Mm. Because essentially, you know, we are just... A series of our own thoughts like essentially you know outside of outside of in here it's happening regardless of what you and i do it's happening out there so how we handle it again is 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 up to us um so in my life that, that again it resonated with the fact that at some point in life you you learn that you're either good enough or not good enough you know you're you're either someone who has to work for it or you're someone who gloats in in the glory and you know you're either competent or you're cocky um well either that or you're humble or you know or you're the best around you know the greatest i think donald trump was the greatest at everything <laughs> at the best of this and the best of that and this and you know regardless of your politics you, you know regardless who you are you don't have the best of everything all the time and and you know um that's it so growing up it's it's dealing with those things the watermark instances that I had in my life, um, y you know, uh, I had the fight or flight issue really, uh, really deeply. But early on in life, uh, I was the the flight, you know, and I was a kid that would get emotional and cry and do that kind of thing until all of a sudden one day um, in third grade, a kid, you know, making fun of me, you know, and teacher saw I was getting a little, the color of these, these pads here and a little pissed off and asked me to go outside and on the way outside I earholed the kid you know I took a math book and I knocked him out of his chair and he's crying they're laughing and I feel better <laughs> and that was you know that's not the right lesson to learn at third grade <laughs> but that's you know what happened go to fifth grade I got a teacher where I'm an accelerated math class and and uh, I ask a question, and literally the, the answer was, if you need to ask a question, you don't, you're not supposed to be in this class. This is, we're in fifth grade, you know? Wow. <laughs> we're in fifth grade. I'm, I'm in a group of six kids that made it into this class, and, and I ask a question. I'm not supposed to ask a question. <laughs> wow. So, you know, you learn things along the way, right? And so I'm not sure... Well, yeah, there's there's... Stuff along the way that um, adds up, and then there's those things that, that hit harder than not, and some of them come from home, some of them come from the people you, you hold on the highest pedestal. And But, uh, yeah, I would say that most of the stuff that happened to me in my elementary school years is what kind of built me into the response mechanism that I became for junior high and high school and that kind of stuff. And by that time, I had built up a defense mechanism, right? So... Elementary school happened to me, good sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, no, I I was the kid who just wanted to be everybody's friend and was nice and 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 uh, yeah, you know, names affected me, <laughs> and and all that kind of stuff along the way. So I built up a defense mechanism of which um, didn't allow for those things to matter. You know, I um. I remember one time I had a buddy come over to my house. I was probably 11 years old, and my mom and dad were fighting. They would fight really, really bad. My dad would, he had a permanent disability and had a lot of issues. Um, mm -hmm. It was 
told he would never walk again and uh, he was a fighter and he was a runner before that and so he had a lot of anger issues right and so growing up I experienced that and then you add drugs and alcohol into the mix and then you know it's fodder right yeah. and so but anyway I've, I had a buddy it was the first night he was staying the night <clears throat> and they're fighting in there and I'm embarrassed and there was a really long haul and my bedroom was at the end of the hall and my bed was if you open the door my bed was right there so they're they're yelling and all of a sudden you know my mom just beelines around the corner hauls ass and she's running down the hall towards me and then my dad comes right around right and and they we had one of those um those big phones that you know the rotary phones my dad picks up the phone and throws it at my mom as hard as he can i'm imagining right because i'm at the end of the hall and i look up just in time for it to smash my face and blood everywhere and you know this was a situation that that was one of those watermarks that you're talking about with right. me and my dad went in and he passed out my mom was scared and we all had to drive and and basically be gone for hours and then he passed out and then it was safe for us to come home that was embarrassing man that was embarrassing and right. It forced me to feel that. And it's like, you know, things happen. I did not do that. I did not do anything bad to deserve that. But guess what? It happened. And I think it has helped. There's a lot of those type of scenarios. And I think that has helped me with my attitude on how I you know how I experienced the the shortcomings and shortfalls of life nowadays right. you know I have issues too but but part of this podcast is is basically embracing the things that had affected us and and allowing other people that are listening to say shit you know that was fucked up that that happened to me but you know what if I look at it this way then thank God for that Thank God for that phone up my head. <laughs> Thank God for that phone upside my head, you know, that that it it helped me understand that life is happening like you said. It's happening there regardless of what we talk about, what we do. It's happening. So, you know, we have the choice of how to deal with it. And do we embrace it and make it something that that becomes a positive a, a fruit tree that can can give fruit or are we going to make it uh, a poison that is going to continue to poison us slowly for the rest of our lives and so you know that's why I always like talking to people that have had any level of success because underneath I think underneath all all of those layers of success were many failures were many situations sitting with yourself sitting with myself figuring out this is fucked up what <laughs> can I do what? you know so I I just and that's why I'm not trying to ask any loaded questions so I don't want you you know I just want to I'm just trying to oh yeah well there's you, there's, know. you know there's definitely things out there that uh, I, I guess there's probably one or more incidents that people are still around and you know I'd prefer to yeah. to leave them you know uh, it's like Alcoholics Anonymous, right? It's it's mm-hmm. you go and apologize to people unless it's gonna hurt them to, to apologize. And so within that, it's it's one of those things that I've realized that you know my demons are mine, and and realistically, if if someone was ready to deal with it or, or say sorry or do something, they they would have, you know. So, um, and and going after that apology or going after that understanding and not receiving it, what's that going to do to you? you right, know? So, even make it work. Yeah, yeah. So you deal with it, you know, and uh, I, I guess that learning to deal with it um, started when, you know, I graduated into being a, an adult at 18 with a, with a case, you know. Um, I got caught with, with weed, and, well, a little bit more than weed. I was part of the drug trade, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so um, two out of the items I got caught with are now legal. <laughs> wow. Um, but the other... Uh, few weren't (laughs) um and so yeah you know they really shaped my life um they say that uh necessity is the mother of all creation right and uh 
Well, um, it was necessary that um, I had a future for a job, you know, and, and it was necessary that if I didn't want to work uh, in a position that they, they allot for felons, for, for, you know, convicts and that kind of stuff, that I had to become an entrepreneur and, and think my way out of that paper bag, you know, that we were talking about earlier. And, and so that was it, is um, I, had, I had minimum wage or no wage coming to me when, when I got out of jail. How long were you there? Just under three years total, and that's with a violation, um, of which <laughs> it's kind of funny, you know, um, uh, the violation itself uh, was for marijuana. Um, I got caught with about that much of it, but I was on felony probation and actually prescribed Marinol at the time. So this wasn't a recommendation as per all this kind of stuff that everyone has now. It was a prescription from Marinol, of which, you know, who knows what the studies are, but I was allowed to, on felony probation, give dirty urinalysis for cannabis because I took a pill that was Marinol. Oh, wow. um, but I got caught with it. I got caught with actual cannabis, and they sent me to jail. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's part of the story is growing up, knowing that cannabis was something that was good for me um, and, and helped even my keel as opposed to Ritalin, you know, bouncing off the walls, doing that kind of stuff, all the different things. I, I think I was properly diagnosed with ADHD. I think I was mistreated, put it that way. And so cannabis really even my keel but I was told it was wrong the whole time and, you know, got in trouble for it and did that kind of thing. And, and along the way, you know, 1996, all of a sudden there's, there's a medical benefit for it here in California, you know, that's when it went legal. 98 is when I caught my case. And, and so during that whole time period, we're going through the first part of legalization as to where really on the outside, you know, California is saying, Hey, we're going to, be almost a sanctuary state and allow for medical causes and people to come here and do that. But at the same time, their justice system wasn't allowing for anything. And, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, I got profiled on the way to work. Literally, didn't wasn't given a cause. I was driving to Moto Photo, which happened to be my job after I got out of jail the one time. Um, and uh, <laughs> I was wearing a tank top. And uh, he pulled me over because I looked suspicious is what he said. I was on probation, which you don't have to have a reason. And so he, you know, once he found out I was probation, he searched my car and took me away. Wow. There's no bond, there's no bail, there's no anything at that point. So um, I had a seven-year joint suspended on my on my charge, of which I got really lucky. They didn't give me three years for that marijuana charge, of wow. which at that time period um, was a $50 ticket if you got caught with them. So... So that was, so then you ended up spending three years, or this was after you got out? That was after I got out. Um, oh, wow. I, I was spending two years, and okay. then I did six months more for that much marijuana. Got it. Yeah. Man. And so so that's where it's interesting with the the society that we live in today. And when you look around and you and you see the effects of cannabis, and you see the fact that it grows out of the ground, that it's natural, that that there are a lot of benefits. I know it's not like you said, it's, 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 it's not a cure-all, right? right? And I'm not trying to, to say that. I don't, I can't smoke it myself because I get paranoid. Like I've tried a couple times and, um, because I've been stressed out or, or whatnot. And I've literally had a bad reaction. I just, right. for so for me, it does not work. But I'm not the only damn person in the planet, you know? And there are a lot of other people that have been taking 15 prescriptions, that have been taking all kinds of bullshit, opiates and narcotics and just everything, and they can smoke, and it helps them more than all of those things put together. And that happens a lot. Right. There's a lot of those stories. And so so then it comes back to the, the situation of why... Is that the case, and why is that okay? And so I'm just thinking out loud, right? It because it, it it is it infuriates me, man. Because there are pharmaceutical companies that control this place mm -hmm. that we live in, and we think it's the government, right? Uh, again, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist either, but I just believe that. There are a lot of things that are unfair. Just like when I got hit with the, the phone, right? Oh, yeah. 
but it's things that we have to deal with. So my question to you regarding the legality mm-hmm. of cannabis is how are you reconciling your knowledge of cannabis and the fact that it's still a Schedule One drug? Well, um, how am I reconciling it? Uh, like how how do you how do you not let it just eat you up and make you angry? You know because. Well, because I was angry enough in my life, I guess. <laughs> so at this point, I'm I'm choosing to deal with you know um, the positives, you know. And sometimes it's it's tough. It's the turn the other cheek is is not exactly it either. You know, it's just choosing not to engage in something that you know you turn the other cheek when when someone slaps you. That's in the moment. But if you choose to find out where that person lives and or go press charges on them, that's engagement, right? You're engaging those thoughts. And, and um, so part of meditation is, you know, is, is really actively, you know, un, uh, I guess, distancing yourself or separating yourself from the active thought. And, and so ultimately, you'd have to go chase it down in order to engage it again. So how how do I deal with it? Reconcile with it? I deal with the positives, and and that's part of like trichomes.com, you know, and, and trichomes itself. My life was completely shaped by the misnomers and then outright lies surrounding this industry, um, surrounding this plant, surrounding the medical benefits and or if there aren't any of which we're already past that point. But you know, right. well, well, the FDA is getting to it. Yeah, I feel like even um, the hardest critic knows that there are a lot of benefits. Yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of past that. Now we're just trying to figure out how to get people out of jail and quit messing with people's lives before it goes all the way legal, and that's kind of where it's at. But how I deal with it is is to have, have trichomes.com as to where essentially, you know, the business plan is, um, is uh, basically to clarify cannabis, one search, one story, one breakthrough at a time. That's the business plan. And so, really, all the answers aren't here yet. Is it is it going to cure cancer? On its own, you know, I'm not here. I'm not a doctor. I'm not the scientist type or whatever. It's It probably isn't going to cure cancer on its own. But can it help people going through chemo right this second to, to keep up their, their, you know, their appetite and do all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. You know, and, and concessions are being made by doctors and, and everybody all around is, yes, it, it can help. Um, uh, but... You're never going to be told to smoke your medicine in any case, right? No doctor's ever going to say, take two of these, you know, go smoke these and call me in the morning. Right. You know? um, so really it's about finding out where the benefits come from because it's not the carcinogenic plant matter, right? So let's separate that out. Let's figure this out. Um, it, it really is about presenting the facts as they come, you know, and, and one of the other companies I'm involved with, it's called Guild Extracts, uh, and one of the guys there um, is brilliant guy who was facing five years in prison, you know, and while he was waiting for his court case, literally I can't remember if it was the day before he was supposed to turn himself in or whatnot, he finished his process patent on the extraction and reformulation, recrystallization of THCA, and it's a patent, process patent that stays today. Uh, I invested in the company because I personally believe that's going to be the first medical ingredient, you know, being used by pharma. Um, but that's that's really where where the magic lies for, for cannabis, right, is, is in the revelation of what it actually is. Because we have all this anecdotal medicine, or excuse me, anecdotal evidence as people using it as medicine or, or a cure-all. Hey, you know, just as something instead of taking Tylenol or, or you know, ibuprofen or, or going and taking that, that big pharma provided Vicodin or Oxycontin or something like that, you know. Um, people, people like to turn to it. So... How do I deal with it? It's by dealing with the positive, right? Um, we don't report on, on who got busted with it because it's still federally one regulated right now. So yep. technically, we're all against the law, you know? So I'm not here pointing the finger at you or you or you. It's about, it's about looking at the business of cannabis and looking at the, the, the value of it as a medicine that can displace a whole bunch of things that have known side effects that are you know, sometimes equal to or worse than what, what you're trying to treat. So um, that's, that's how I deal with it, is by, 
by knowing I've been through what I've been through and, and realistically I can affect the lives of other people by doing what we're doing now and they don't have to go through what we as a collective community have been through because it's <laughs> I'm not the only one who went through the shit over the last 20, 50, 70, 100 plus years since this thing was you know, outlawed and banned for purposes that we know today for certain weren't just on the up and up. Right. It was, yeah. I, and, and again, I don't know all of those backstories. I know I've heard stories of hemp and why it wasn't, why it was outlawed and, and it really all came down to who was making money and who was not making money. Absolutely. And the politics surrounding it. And, you know, that's it's something as to the people who do know, you know, and do study history and that kind of thing. Again, it wasn't like this was written on a ledger so much as uh, experienced by people, uh, you know, through the Vietnam War and before that, the industrialization and that kind of stuff, the printing presses and why people would rather go, you know, paper from wood rather than creating the hemp fields and that kind of stuff. There's, there's all sorts of different um, documented history, but really not a, a real ledger as to why the decisions were made. You can only kind of hypothesize it. And, yeah, money, greed, power. Yeah. Well, you look at, if anybody has a TV that's listening to this, right, I'm sure you've heard some of those commercials that take Oladex, and mm-hmm. then there's a picture of a person throwing a ball to a dog on the beach, and then it's like, side effects include, you know, bleeding out of your anus and, you know, things that are like, what? what? Like, <laughs> what? And who in the heck would want to take that? Right. So, just like what you said, I think anybody that that has a brain and is, it's got to stir up some kind of a question of like, well, why would I be doing all that? Right. But, you know, what it all comes down to is that pharmaceutical companies know no matter what issue you're facing you know which is worse is it this issue or is it that issue the the worst issue is the one that you're dealing with in the moment and you will do anything because you don't know that it's on the other side there it's hypothetical it's theoretical but this is real and so people will do anything to get rid of their real for what's over there even though what's over there not gonna help or you know it's just we want to believe yeah so oh yeah well, and then you'd hope that the people that go to school for it and, and you put in position to a power that you'd be able to believe them, but that's not always the case either. Right, right. So. I think a lot of also, I'm trying not to get too much into uh, just conspiracy and negative and everything is about money and politics, and but, you know, let's face it, we're talking about a subject that is highly politicized, that 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 carries with it a tremendous amount of benefits, right? And and can disrupt some major things that have been ionized over time. <laughs> Case in point, you know, today's headline uh, on on our you know news channel news feed was that the FBI has now again announced a, a change in policy to who will be accepted as agents and in certain positions with them um, as to where they relaxed it and and uh, a couple months ago they announced that if you hadn't participated in cannabis uh, a year previous to when you were applying that you could do it uh, that you could you could apply now for the FBI um, and they just revised that to say <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up but essentially if you smoked cannabis, more than 24 times, you cannot apply to be part of the FBI. Unless that happened prior to the age of 18. Okay, so what we know about brain development in teenage kids and cannabis is that, you know, signs are saying that, well, anything during the development of the brain, unless it's absolutely needed, isn't very good, right? So, so just go ahead and throw that out. But after 18, if you make the choice to smoke it more than 23 times, yeah, that's, that's irresponsible. <laughs> really, what is what is the 24th time? Because I've smoked, I smoked weed. As soon as I smoked weed, it was like 24 times in the same fucking week. <laughs> you know, I'm still human. I see myself in the camera. I didn't disappear, you know. It's, it's, it's like, what happens after the 24th time? Nothing. It's... Where did they pull that from? Yeah, yeah. And and so they have a chance to do this, and, and 
yet they're not. They're still spending money on studies of, of, well, relation to marijuana madness. You know, it's, and and the different things as opposed to really getting into taking the antidotal medicine that has been learned over the last fifty years of people applying this. Well, fifty years of record, right? Right, of record. Thousands mm-hmm. of years of of like. I mean, really, this has been used for thousands of years, but let's throw that out the window and just go back to when people can remember and what's been documented, right? The last 50 years of people actually using this as an antidotal medicine and and, and start using that as a path forward for scientifically researched medicine, right? Empirical data and doing that. Why don't we listen to the people who said, that helped me do this and, and figure out why it helped them do that rather than, you know what, Johnny has... A point zero zero seven chance more of a heart attack at the age of twelve because he smoked weed. It's like who the fuck is you know <laughs> right really and and they and they announced that by saying twelve year olds have twice as much of a chance of dying of heart attack because of cannabis use than than people who don't. And you see that they've tested a certain amount of people right and and uh, and long and short the test has to do with people who were doing it like it was it was caffeine and alcohol and a whole bunch of other stuff that they were studying and then the difference between those people who didn't smoke cannabis and those who did was like the difference between 0.07 and 1.06 it was twice the twice the, no no i mean the math the way they presented right, was just right. atrocious and so um extreme you know there's a book that i i was listening to a a vlogger talk about Bill Gates talking about this go- about this book called How to Lie with Statistics. Right. And you know, I, you could make the sky blue or purple with a rainbow in it by using certain you know statistics. And so, just because you hear numbers and and then you know there was I don't know. I, again, I'm, I'm trying not to go into that doom and gloom area but so there's a guy there's a senator that I know that has been um, pretty vocal and I don't even know how the hell I came across him on Facebook his name's Jim Lucas Mm -hmm. and he started to take up an advocate and advocate for cannabis and so he's he's a loudmouth right and I love it because he calls people out and he offends people not on purpose but by being just Brutally honest, right. and he's not trying to offend, but he's saying, "Hey, knucklehead, <laughs> you know, right. how could you not see this? If two plus two is four, look at this, and then he'll show two, and then plus, and then two, and this is four. Common Core math fucked everything. <laughs> yeah, right. It totally sorry, did. Sorry, man. Excuse me. I hope we can cuss on this podcast. Yeah, no, it's anyway. it's if people can't handle cuss words, then they're probably not my demographic. Got so it. you know, um. <laughs> But but my question is, do you have any senators like when it comes to like lobbying? Is there any political action committees? Are there any is there anything that you can do on that front that you can be the David against Goliath type of scenario or or, you know, when so my father in law uh, back in the day, my ex-wife, her dad, he was an avid Smot poker is what I called him, you know, and and he was one of the most, um, you know, he he was a big influence in my life in a lot of ways. Right. And he basically um, they were looking at at having the the um, uh, a dispensary in San Diego. This was a long time ago. So like in 03 right? right back in the day. And. They got a lease. It was him and someone else, and they ended up they they got the last business license in San Diego before there was a moratorium that came down. And the FBI, I believe it was the FBI, called them and said, "Hey, look, you got a business license, okay? But whatever you do there, we're gonna come in and take everything away from you, right? right? And so, you know." It's and then it went off the record for a while until I don't know what year, and then something else came up, and it's like, oh hey, you know what? Now we have a, a fighting chance on to legalize. That's right, for- on two thousand nine, two thousand ten. But yeah, no, San Diego yeah. was 
they were so back and forth the whole time. Um, yeah, they, they were first there in, in a lot of ways. And then, um, and then they actually ended up suing the state of California based upon the law that they put forth. Um, that was a little bit more recent, but yeah, 2009, 2010, they started getting their act back together. I, I had a, something called the Coalition of Medical Collectors back then, and I was working with Riverside County. Um, and uh, if you go back into the into the history uh, books there, as far as uh, um, the the county council and the supervisors, we actually were on record for getting a five nothing vote to draft the ordinance of which we had worked on with them back in 2010. Hmm. Um, and this was prior to the Prop 187, Prop D days in, in, in L.A., of which is what really uh, was the answer to their moratorium in L.A. It's what allowed those first shops to be legal in, in L.A. But right before that, L.A. was like, we're going to outlaw everything. And that was just maybe three months after we got the vote out here in Riverside. And uh, Riverside County Council, they, they went behind closed doors and they reversed the whole decision three months after we got it. So... Um, Interesting. Yeah, it took them about a decade to get back on the ball. I think they just legalized it and set an ordinance for it uh, last year. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> so, so oh, we wow. were we were the first. I'm I'm not as certain as I am. You could look this up. You know, as Riverside County, but as far as counties go, I think we were one of the first counties to actually have a five nothing vote to draft the ordinance, which we were doing at that time. So we we're kind of a, ahead of it. So again, 2003 was. Well, I was in jail still, but that was before, um, yeah, before it was being accepted. And then raids were happening all the way through 2015 um, on legal shops even yeah. because there was less of a way to distinguish it. I mean, raids have been happening up through last year. And currently right now there's a there's something called Operation Hammer going on in Sa San Bernardino where it's the largest raid that they've been doing on grows ever since. I think they've got something like 30... 30,000 pounds. Um, no, it's way more than that. I, I can't remember the specifics around it, but it's thousands of grows that they've just hit recently. Wow. Yeah. Well, I had helped a, a client of mine do a business plan. When mm -hmm. Moreno Valley had opened up for permits, I literally, it was 100, Lindsay helped me put this thing together, 188-page plan and we went we got architectural drawings i did financials forecast i mean everything and wow at the new taxes right and in in trying to figure out how much money you're going to be able to keep and if you get into this business there's a lot of risk and there are a lot of things that could happen and no matter what you're paying so much tax and the 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 lights are so expensive the electric is so expensive there, there's so many things and what happens if you have this grow and then you know one of them gets a virus or or something like that and and then poof there goes your whole thing but you're still paying it, it's just it's a hard it's a hard thing to do so oh, yeah. uh, i i really it, it made me scratch my head thinking man does does anybody really want to get into this because i feel like there's a lot of Barriers to entry, you know, that's... Oh, yeah, it's expensive. And, you know, really the people who come from the legacy market, they're used to getting kicked in the teeth, you know. it's uh, Nothing was permanent, right? The grows weren't permanent. The, you could have it taken away at any given time. The money wasn't permanent because essentially you're out there just making a hand over a fist until you're not, and, and that usually ensues with a court case or something like that. So I think it goes the other way. But, um, yeah, you know, um, you talked about the licensing. We just actually put in for our license in, in Corona, and we got approved by the city. Right now they're still going over the retail stuff, but we're the only group that put in for a separate distribution license in there. We were approved by it. Um, so Did you do one of these? <laughs> uh, it was more than that. I, my daughter, my daughter is the only person in the world that saw it, and thank God I have the security camera. But I, I did, yeah, the, the worst funky chicken. You ever I love it, man. <laughs> I went down and I signed that agreement with the city and and uh, the operating agreement, and yeah, no, uh, I'm I'm about three months away from being licensed to do what they tried to lock me up for my whole life. I mm. just was trying to make the wrong people my partner. Greasing the wrong wheels. Just had to make the state my partner and, and choose to accept no money as a profit. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds all no, that wait, great. Wait but... a second. Yeah, no, I mean, it's about the score right now. But, you know, yeah. realistically, yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody's Baby here steps. doing this. Um, 
because it's about where it's heading, right? Yeah. And and right now retails aren't aren't uh, profitable because they're taxed to death. But realistically, that's the point of contact with the with the client. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much how familiar you are with uh, Grey Goose. You know, outside of drinking it, or if you don't drink, or oh no, I, I drink Grey Goose. I, I haven't drank it in a while, but that's my favorite vodka. Is nice. Grey Goose. Yeah. Well, their story. See, it's it's much like the cannabis industry, right? Is is uh, around. 2002, um, they had been in business for, I, I don't know how many years at that point, um, but they had been in the red, you know, as far as operating costs and that kind of thing, the whole time. Never saw a dollar of profit, never a day in the black. And they sold that year in 2002 or 2003 for $212 million. And that group went and they did what they did and got more distribution going and and, uh, you know, got everybody loose with the goose, and it was in every rap song, and then all of a sudden, it was in every bar. It became the staple. It's like, whether it was whether it was a top shelf or middle shelf, you could order a Grey Goose wherever you went. And at that juncture, two and a half years later, it sold to whoever the, I don't know if it's the current owner, but at that juncture, 2005 or six, it sold for $2.2 billion. Wow. Still having never seen one day in the black. Why? Because they owned all the real estate, and they were everywhere, and distribution was everything. And right now, that's the only way you have to make money. That's the only way you have to get this product into people's hands. So essentially, retail, you know... Is a necessary step. Even though it only makes money for the employees and the people who are working with it. It's really, it's not making money for the investors, you know, unless it's a cash-out event. But, uh... Yeah, you know, it's the running joke is, hey, you want to leave the cannabis industry with $10 million, you better come with 100 <laughs> It's that expensive. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. Um, I know that you have other things to do, and, you know, well, and... This I'm, this could be the first of many, you know? Yeah, for sure. We're, we're local. Yeah, no, it's great, man, and I really appreciate you coming here, and, and I think that we got a lot of other things to talk about, you know? It's funny, I have... So my... Bachelor's degree was in logistics. Okay. And I came out here, I, I interviewed with a bunch of, and it, logistics is a very important part of every business. Distribution is very important. And um, and anyway, I, I'm just, it, it's funny because I'm, I'm listening to all the things and, you know, um, whatever, we'll say that for another time. Yeah. So either way, uh, Jared, thank you very much for coming and, and being a part of this podcast. There are a lot of people out there. And one last time, I want yeah. you to let, if somebody's out there and they want to know, you know, where they could get a hold of you, if they have questions, if they want to, you know, where would they go to find you? Oh, well, currently, you know, uh, the easiest way to find me would be through trichomes.com. Right now, that's the, the main effort as to where, uh, for the community, we're, we're really trying to, have the pertinent news there cut through the fluff and and like you said earlier if you want to get involved if you want to try to find a way that you can locally get involved or or how to get involved in this national thing that's happening whether it's legalization decriminalization that kind of thing trichomes.com would be the place to go and um spell that uh trichome hey thanks <laughs> we're teaching people how to spell it every day <laughs> unless you're looking into cannabis but it's t-r-i c-h-o-m-e-s it looks like trick homes without the k and what is trichome Again, thanks for asking. <laughs> you know, it's it's something that I've known for quite some time, and, and the, it's near and dear to the cannabis industry. But the trichome itself is what, you know, everyone talks about the crystals on cannabis. So it's the crystally stuff on cannabis. It's basically these bulbous, uh, the, like a fibrous hair that contains all the good stuff in cannabis. And so that's what we're trying to do as a news and media production company, is we're trying to emulate the trichome itself, is, is contain everything good about cannabis. Right. Oh, very cool. And uh, so, yeah, no, all the cannabinoids and terpenes and that kind of stuff, all that develops within the trichome. So most people have heard of THC, and then now with CBD, mm -hmm. right, it's, okay, this CBD doesn't have THC. This CBD has THC and CBD. Right. And, and so is trichomes THC or it's? All the above. Okay. It's everything. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Some people balk at it, some people whatever. But, you know, we like to say around the office that you can't spell cannabis without trichomes. 
And, <laughs> you know, obviously. Hold on a second. <laughs> right, 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 right. But hey, without the trichome itself, it's just another piece of grass, you know. So that's it. Is trichomes is the trichome itself is what makes cannabis special, you know, and that's what what our job at trichomes is. Is you know, our our narrative is the story of cannabis, and that makes everybody you know that's part of today's current you know bid to take this thing to the next level, decriminalize it, and de- destigmatize it. Part of that same thing. Well, I think. Uh... I can't remember who said it, but there's nothing more powerful than an idea that has found its time, right? right? So I think now is the time. I think you're one of the people in the forefront that are helping making a difference and, and in, in making an impact. And so thank you for what you do. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Um, anybody out there, if you want to get involved, if you want to help, if you want to be an advocate, if you have a story that you'd like to showcase, then... Reach out to Jared, reach out to the Move Podcast, and let's hear it. So without further ado, thank you for listening, and keep your eyes open on your way home. All right? You guys have a good evening, and again, Jared, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. <laughs> have a great day. All right. See you later, See alligator. You guys. <laughs> <laughs>